So Titus 3, beginning of verse 12. Let's hear the word of God. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Well, we come now here to Paul's final thoughts and final commands to Titus. And so let's then briefly review what we have seen here in the letter. And uh, here's where I'm going to make reference to this outline I've used. Um, uh, All of them, as I've said before, that I've given to you are very similar Uh, Just some different ways of describing it and so forth. Of course, we began in chapter 1 with uh, Paul's opening words. And, of course, he is using Titus here as his delegate. He has delegated some of his apostolic authority to Titus to do the work here in Crete. Uh, Paul likely came uh, after he was released from prison in Rome and probably also after he went to Spain Uh, Though some of those details we can't say for sure. Uh, And upon leaving, he left Titus there to uh, continue the work. And so then, uh, after he left, he writes this letter. And in the rest of chapter 1, he focuses on the church. And in particular, he commands Titus to establish elders in these churches in Crete. And um, the fact that he doesn't mention a deacon suggests to us that Paul had just planted some churches. These churches are not old enough to have deacons yet. Um, And one of the main things that he emphasizes is that elders must be able to refute false teaching. And uh, he then goes on to talk about the the Jewish errors and the Cretan errors and some of their their wrong ways of thinking. In chapter 2, Paul then transitions Uh, to each key demographic in the home. And he calls on Titus and on all of us, of course, ultimately, to live in godly ways. And so the older generation must model godliness to the younger men and women, and even slaves must serve honorably in the home. Paul ends chapter 2, you recall, with uh, some of the foundational reasons for godliness. Uh, And that simply is Christ's first and second comings. These motivate us, obviously his initial work, but also the fact that he's going to come again. And so it motivates us to righteous living in uh, all ways. And so then in chapter 3, Paul moves from commands regarding the church to the family and now to Christians living in the world. And so verses 1 and 2, and then beginning in verse 3, he says, Since we used to be worldly... And yet God saved us by his grace. We too, then, should act like God in this way and love our neighbor, even our neighbor who is very much like the world. Um, Then, as we've seen in verse 8, this is likely to be understood as the theme verse of the letter, though some, you may recall, uh, point to some of those verses at the end of chapter 2. And then last time, of course, we spent a little bit of time... um, Uh, looking at Paul's words, where he makes clear to us that we are not merely to avoid false teachers by ignoring them, 
but rather we must engage with them, not engage in their foolish debates, but engage with them by uh, teaching them the truth and, if necessary, then disciplining uh, these false teachers. And so we briefly talked about Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18, and that Paul's words here appear to connect best uh, with Jesus' commands in step three. And so when things are brought before the church, it's likely then that Paul's words fit best here. And simply he's saying, don't rush to judgment, um, but uh, patiently address the person in their error, seeking to correct them. But at some point, if they persist, then excommunication may be necessary. <clears throat> All right, which brings us then to verse 12. And um, as I've mentioned, beginning in verse 9 to the end of the letter, there are these six commands. So we come to the third of these. So verse 9 was to avoid, uh, verse 10 to reject, and now here to be diligent. And like the first two, this one is not right at the beginning. It's <clears throat> partway into the sentence. And so in this case, we have, when I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, and so you have this dependent clause, and then we have the command, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, and so forth. Well, <clears throat> let's start with the dependent clause. Uh, what's Paul say here, first of all? And so notice that Paul is giving Titus his plans. Um, they hadn't worked this all out initially. Uh, maybe they did in some ways, such as at some point I'm going to send someone who's going to replace you. Uh, but here now Paul is giving uh, more specific plans. And of course, there's no, uh, there are no phones, there are no emails and so forth. And so they would send these kinds of things through letters. And uh, obviously here we have this letter to Titus to do that. And Paul simply says that he intends to send either Artemis or Tychicus to replace Titus. Now, we don't know how long Titus ends up being in Crete. Is it a matter of a few months? Was it a year or more? Um, we don't know, but it's probably something like that. And we're not pro probably not talking about a few years or something to that effect. Um, and Paul says he's going to send one of these two men to continue the work in Crete as Titus leaves. So let's now talk a little bit about these men. Who were they? First of all, Artemis. The challenge with understanding who this man was is this is the only time he's mentioned in the New Testament. There is nothing else for us to look at in that way. But we do have uh, one clue for us to look at here just from the text and another clue from church tradition. And, and first of all, notice his name, Artemis. It's spelled with an M-A-S at the end. But Artemis, the goddess, M-I-S at the end, um, obviously there's a connection here. And so most likely then, this man was a Gentile who was named after this goddess, but the, the masculine form of the name. And um, this also suggests that he probably was from Asia, um, what they considered to be Asia, not what we would think of. So uh, probably... Uh, in and around Ephesus area, maybe Colossae, uh, and so forth. And uh, so let's turn then to Acts chapter 19 here uh, briefly. <clears throat> we'll look at uh, several passages here tonight as we seek to understand some of these connections. Uh, and I do want to return to this passage. We'll look at Acts 20 uh, here in a few moments. But uh, first of all, in Acts 19, remember this is when Paul comes to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. 
and uh, he spends two and a half to three years there. And uh, God blessed his ministry so much that uh, the worship of Artemis went into decline. And this got people, the locals, upset. And so you see that, uh, especially beginning in verse 21. Uh, of the chapter. And then if you look at verse 24, right, remember Demetrius, the silversmith, got all upset and so forth, and they tried to get rid of Paul. Uh, There was the riot, and remember, they just start chanting like um, uh, a little kid here that doesn't get his way, right? Great is Diana of the Ephesians, and so on. Um, Now, you may recall when I I preached on this that uh, Diana is the Roman name for this goddess, Remember, you have the Greek pantheon of gods, you have the Roman pantheon of gods, and basically you had the same kinds of gods, or maybe a few variations from one to the other, Um, but Zeus and Jupiter are basically the same god in those those views. Well, in, in that same way, then, Artemis is the Greek goddess, and Diana is the Roman goddess, and they both um, basically uh, represent the same kinds of things. Remember, there was this huge temple in Ephesus and so on. So anyway, uh, just a little background here in this way. And as I said already, this man was likely named after this goddess, having the same name, just the masculine form of it. Um, And so again, it suggests he was from that area. Maybe he was from Greece. uh, But whatever the case, uh, it certainly suggests to us that he was a Gentile who has now come to faith. Now... That's what we have in the text and so on. Um, Now, church tradition does give us a little bit of information about this man, and they give us two points. And you recall, as I've said on other occasions, whenever we're dealing with church tradition or dealing with Jewish tradition, hey, um, listen to it. It may be legitimate, but take it with a grain of salt. Um, It isn't necessarily true. Um, And so in this case, with this man... They say that uh, Artemis was one of the 72 that Jesus sent out in Luke 10. Remember, he sent out the 12. He also sent out the 72. Um, I'm inclined to think that this is a bit unlikely uh, based on his name uh, and and the fact that Paul is using him in Crete at this place or at this time in, in history. Um, But it's possible, maybe he was a proselyte that became a Jew uh, and was alive during the ministry of Jesus. But church tradition says this about him. Now, the other element of church tradition, which I think is more likely, is that he uh, apparently was the first bishop in Lystra. So remember on Paul's first missionary journey, he went to Cyprus and then to the, the cities of Galatia, including Iconium, Derbe, and Lystra. And so apparently this man uh, became the bishop there uh, after his appointment, possibly, here in Crete. Um, So again, takes church tradition for what it's worth. Maybe it's true, maybe not. But this is all we know. Except to say this. Obviously, this man was valued by Paul. He was, can you say, on the same level as Timothy and Titus. And he was obviously a very godly, faithful, honorable man who could be sent as Paul as a delegate in his place. And so though we know very little about him, he must have been a godly man. 
All right, now, the second man he lists is Tychicus, Paul's other choice. Obviously, when he wrote the letter to Titus, he didn't know for sure whom he would send. Uh, Possibly it's because Artemis hadn't come yet or Tychicus was somewhere else and hadn't come to where Paul was yet. Uh, Maybe there are other factors uh, in Paul's decision making. But obviously, by the time Titus received the letter, he knew (laughs) whom Paul chose. Um, And so um, we don't know, but it was going to be one of these two men. Now, as for Tychicus, we do know more about him. He's mentioned five times in the New Testament. Obviously, here's one of them. So let's come back now to Acts 20, if you uh, haven't turned from there yet. And uh, you remember in the first few verses, this is a description of Paul leaving Ephesus and coming all the way around uh, to Greece after going through Macedonia. Remember, he stays there for a few months for the winter. This is when he writes the book of Romans and so on. Well, during this time also, he was collecting money to send to the churches in Jerusalem to help them uh, in their need. And in verse 4, we are told uh, uh, some of who uh, went with Paul and, and helped bring the money. And so in verse 4, it says, And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the <coughs> Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. And so these three men are from Asia. We know where Timothy's from, of course. And uh, now here we see Tychicus is mentioned. And so maybe he too was um, from Ephesus, uh, maybe from a similar location as Artemis. Again, we just can't say definitively. All right, so here's the one passage. Let's turn then to Ephesians chapter 6. And at the end of the, the letter here to the Ephesians, Paul says these words, verse 21. <clears throat> But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. So in this case then, remember Paul is in Rome, he's in prison. Um, So at the end of Acts, right, this time frame, this is when he writes the book of Ephesians and he sends it with Tychicus. Tychicus, I think we should understand here as the the letter bearer, and he would have brought it to uh, the Ephesian church. And um, Paul's description of him is obviously very clear and very encouraging. He's a beloved and faithful uh, brother and minister. Um, Let's turn then to Colossians chapter 4. In verse 7. Colossians 4, 7, Paul now says this, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So here this man is mentioned again. And you recall that the book of Colossians was written basically at the same time as the book of Ephesians. Uh, It's possible that Paul sent Tychicus with both letters on the same trip. He went to Ephesus first, then went uh, eastward to Colossae. Maybe it was a different trip, uh, but certainly about the same time frame when Paul was in prison in Rome. And once again, we see that Paul is describing Tychicus very positively. 
And uh, so because of this, we can understand why Paul might choose this man to replace Titus in Crete. Now, once again then, Artemis must have been the same kind of man. Even though we don't have all these extra details about him, he must have been faithful enough, if you will, beloved enough, to be treated in the same category as Tychicus, as well as Titus and even Timothy. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> now remember our chronology. Uh, as I just mentioned, Paul's in prison in Rome, right? He's writing these two letters. He is released. Uh, we believe he probably did go to Spain and then likely after that, though again, we're, we're guesstimating here to some degree, but at some point he comes to Crete. He establishes the church, leaves Titus, and now writes this letter. And at some point in time, he's going to send one of these two men, and he, they or he would replace uh, Titus and continue the work there. And so... This is all happening between the first and second imprisonments of Paul in Rome. Which brings us then to our next passage, and that is 2 Timothy and chapter 2, or sorry, chapter 4. 2 Timothy and uh, chapter 4. And uh, I do want to return to this passage here in a bit, so um, I'll stick something here. But for now, look at verse 12. 2 Timothy 4.12, and Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. All right, now, it is possible that the chronology of everything puts these things in, in a very close proximity, which means if that is true, then Paul decided to send Artemis to Crete and Tychicus to Ephesus. But it's also possible that there are two or three years in between these events. Again, we just don't have enough information to say for sure. And so it is possible then that Paul sent Tychicus to Crete, and then later he sent him to Ephesus. But whatever the case, Paul sends one of these two men to replace Titus and to minister as if Paul were there as his apostolic delegates. All right, now, <clears throat> let's pause and reflect on this here just a moment. Not everyone in the church, obviously, is a Paul. In fact, there were only 13 or 14, depending on how you count it, um, apostles. And, and obviously, Paul was one of them. So there are very, very few people in the history of the world who have ever been like Paul. We are not. Okay. Uh, not everyone was a Titus either, someone who was sent with Paul's specific authority. Right? Timothy was one, Titus was one, Tychicus was one, or Artemis, or possibly both. Okay? But of course, we know a fair amount about Titus. We have a whole letter here. We have other passages in the New Testament that tell us about Titus. Um, we have some information about Tychicus, same kind of person, but less information. Um, but nevertheless, used by God here in these ways. Um, maybe it'd be more uh, in our league, so to speak, to say that some of us may be like an Artemis. Um, maybe 100 years from now, 2,000 years from now, uh, 
Maybe some people will know our name, but that's about it. Okay. But what matters is not our fame. What matters is our faithfulness. This man was faithful to God, Artemis. And we know very little about him. And yet, he was used by God, if not here in Crete, certainly in other ways. All of us, whether we are known or not known, if a hundred years ago, uh, from now, assuming Christ doesn't come back, okay, it is likely that hardly anyone will know us. Okay? Maybe some of our ancestors will know our name. 500 years from now, probably nobody will know our name. But that really doesn't matter. With this emphasis on our culture, with our 15 minutes of fame, or we get to establish a presence on the internet with all these likes and so on and so forth, right? This cult of fame really is not important. What is important is, are we faithful men and women to the Lord? Are we going to be useful in the church of Jesus Christ? Maybe not as an apostolic delegate. Maybe not as a pastor or an elder or a deacon. But are we faithful? Are we useful to God in his church, in his kingdom, where we are right now in this small community, whether people know about us or not, in the decades or centuries to come? Okay. Obviously, not all of us are going to be leaders. Okay. But we must be faithful Someone like Paul um, choosing either Artemis or Tychicus to be useful in some way. What so often happens, though, is that we as professing Christians like to sit on the sidelines and let somebody else do the work. Uh, the typical number is about 10% of people who go to church are actually involved in church activities, helping out in some way in the church. That is a pitifully low number. We all should be involved in the church, helping out, ministering, being faithful in some way. Now, if we minister in the shadows, that's fine. Most believers throughout history, we don't know what, the, what their names are. We, we don't know who they were. We'll meet them in glory, okay? but we have no idea who they are. Some of us may... They may know our name. They may know a little bit about us in the centuries to come. But most of us are just going to minister in the shadows of history. And that's okay. But we should be faithful to our Lord. And so we don't have to be well known. But we do need to be useful in God's kingdom. And so here are a few thoughts in this way. <clears throat> well, as we come back to Titus 3 then, notice... Now the command. When I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. All right, so point here is pretty straightforward. Whenever one of these two men comes, <clears throat> be diligent. Now I think that's a fair way of translating the word. Uh, you could say spare no effort or work hard or something like that. But Paul certainly sounds like he has a note of urgency, of time in this. Not just work hard, but work speedily, urgently, hasten to come to me, seems to be the idea here. And so Paul wants Titus to leave within a short period of time 
when one of these two men comes. Maybe he's thinking just a few days, maybe a few weeks, but likely not waiting a a few months before uh, Titus would leave. Again, we are so used to uh, speed, right? Whether it's microwaves or sending a text around the world uh, in a matter of moments, we're so used to those things. But in the ancient world, uh, to go quickly may still mean a few months. (laughs) Um, And travel, obviously, is very different than what uh, we know now. But... Um, whatever the case, it does sound like Paul is pressing Titus to come rather quickly. Now remember, this would have been new information for Titus. Again, maybe they would have talked initially about spending a certain amount of time and then leaving, um, but it, it sounds like Paul is giving this new directive at least the specific uh, directive of coming very quickly. Uh, you would think that Titus would need at least a few days to get ready to say his goodbyes, to finish any ministry matters, to catch Artemis or Tychicus up to speed, prepare for the trip, and so forth. Uh, Maybe he did wait a few weeks, uh, but probably not much longer than that. So the question for us then simply is, why the urgency? Now, let me pause and just say this. When we're dealing with history, history most of the time is very dark to us. Uh, It might be a little murky at times, Uh, very few times is it clear. Even in the scriptures, the scriptures that give us some of the the best clarity of the events of history of any document that we've ever found, Um, and yet there are still places in the Bible that are rather dark to us. Uh, Why is Paul so urgent here? Um, I don't know, a lot of history is speculation, educated guessing based on some of the things that we have found. Um, And so we need to be careful. Remember what we saw in verse 9. Paul is saying, hey, don't be like those Jews that are speculating about history. Hey, speculating speculating about the life of Enoch or or Moses or Noah or Abraham or whoever it is. Let's not go down that path. And yet there is a place for some kind of at least asking questions. And in this case, right, why is Paul um, uh, wanting Titus to come so quickly? Well, what we do have is what Paul says. And he says that he wants to winter in Nicopolis, which suggests to us that the travel season is about done. And if Titus doesn't come within a matter of whatever, you know, two months, he'd have to wait until the spring. And that would be at least six months until uh, Titus would come to Paul. Maybe there are other urgent things, other urgent matters on Paul's mind. Maybe he wants Titus for a very specific role in his ministry at Nicopolis. Again, we're speculating. We don't know for sure. Whatever the case, he's telling him, come, be diligent. Again, likely with this time element of coming quickly. All right, well, where then is Nicopolis? Well, the challenge here is there's more than one. So here's where I want you to uh, look at a map, if you would. And again, I'm going to be using these uh, that I used for Paul's missionary journeys. And uh, um, the reason why there's more than one is because the name means City of Victory, or some would say Victory Town. And uh, it makes sense 
that you would have multiple towns of this name because you would name it such after some military victory. So the first option, if you look at Paul's first missionary map, first missionary journey map, um, and you look at Cilicia, you'll see it uh, at least on this particular map, right? It's off to the right, right near Tarsus. And this map shows the Cilician gates. So this was the mountain pass, right? The people would come through. Armies would come through. So there's no surprise that there is a Nicopolis in this area because they had military battles there and so on. So some have suggested, this is what Paul is in mind, he went to his boyhood home in Tarsus and then was going to settle in Nicopolis. He wants Titus to come, maybe, maybe. Now, if you turn over to the third missionary journey map, or if you have a map that shows uh, uh, Philippi and Troas and, and that general area, uh, you'll see on this map Thrace at the very top, right near the Black Sea. There's also Samothrace, some of the, the islands just south uh, into uh, the Mediterranean and such. But anyway, there is another Nicopolis up there. And if you look at your geography, right, there's that narrow band of, of land between the Black Sea and the other body of water. Right? Lots of armies went through here, so it's no surprise that there is a Nicopolis in this area. And some try to make the case this is where Paul uh, went. But most commentators actually uh, would say that the third option is the best option. And so if you look at Paul's journey to Rome map, uh, again, if you have another one, and if you look at Greece, now remember, <coughs> Achaia is the biblical term for Greece. And so you see that right in the middle of the map, you see Crete south of that and so forth. And, uh, and then you see Macedonia north of it all and the Adriatic Sea uh, to the west. Well, as you're looking there, uh, you see some of those islands off the western coast of Greece, and you work your way northward toward the heel of the boot of Italy, but still over here uh, on this uh, landmass. You see that, that land jutting out? I, I kind of think of it as a, a bent finger that's kind of hanging down there, <laughs> but whatever. Um, right in that general area, and probably north of that, was Nicopolis. Another one. And apparently... Caesar Augustus founded this Nicopolis when he defeated Antony and Cleopatra. So uh, here's another victory town. All right, now, uh, for uh, just a modern comparison, if you go from that little finger thing and you work your way northward up to that small inland uh, lake and then down along where the MA is in Macedonia, anyway, that's Albania. So it's in that general um, Location At the time, they called it Epirus, E-P-I-R-U-S. Um, and so this is probably uh, where Paul was going to settle for the winter. Um, this is likely the Nicopolis that he had in mind. Again, with history, right, there's some speculation. Let's just speculate cautiously and not run to extremes like Paul um, warns us against. Um <clears throat> Now, notice a couple things here. Uh, Paul says that he wants to winter there. He doesn't say, I want to winter here, which would indicate that he's not arrived in Nicopolis yet. Okay, so where was he? Well, 
Again, speculation. Some people think he was in Greece and was going to head his way north and west. Others say he was in Asia. Others say he was in Macedonia. If Titus was only in Crete for a matter of maybe three to six months, it would make some sense that Paul would be taking this this, uh, route. If he came from Crete, went up to Asia, and then up through Macedonia down to Greece, and then up to Nicopolis, that's possibly what happened. All right, now let's turn a moment to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, in verse 19, about halfway through the verse, Romans 15, 19, about halfway through the verse, he says, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have faithfully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, Illyricum is north and west of Macedonia, um, and Paul is indicating that he has gone to all of these areas and has been preaching the gospel and so forth. So it seems to suggest one of two things. Paul wants to go to Nicopolis to visit it again. Remember, like he had done before, he planted churches in Galatia, southern Galatia, and he revisited those churches on more than one occasion. Maybe that's what he's doing. Others have tried to make the case that Paul had not been there before, and he is wanting to plant a church here in Nicopolis. Maybe so. Again, we just don't know for sure. Uh, A bit of history uh, is this. A man named Epictetus, who was a Stoic philosopher, was banished from Rome to Nicopolis. And so maybe it's the case that Paul is wanting to go to this place or return to this place because he wants to shine the light of truth because Greek philosophy doesn't save anyone. So, again... We can't say for sure, but maybe this is why Paul wants to go there. But what is clear is he wants to go there. He wants to winter there. He wants Titus to come to be with them during that time. And so he wants a sidekick, as it were, as he is ministering in this area. Maybe other people are with him as well. All right, now let's turn to one more place. Let's turn back to 2 Timothy and uh, chapter 4. All right, we move forward in time here a little bit, right? We have Paul in Rome. The first time he's released, he does some of his ministry, and then he is rearrested. And uh, we believe that he was executed by Nero in roughly 67 or possibly 68 AD. Okay, some will say as early as 66, but more likely 67. Um, and so Paul now is in Rome again, in prison. And he writes the second letter to Timothy. And note verse 9 of 2 Timothy 4. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly. Okay. Timothy is not in, in Ephesus anymore. Um, he wants, uh, Paul wants him to come quickly. And then he says, verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. And note the dash. Okay. These other two men are different. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Okay. It's not because he's raising a bunch of dogs. Um, Dalmatia is further north and west than Nicopolis. Uh, it would be um, the equivalent of modern Bosnia, Croatia, Serbia, the old Yugoslavia. That, that area is where Titus would go. And so Paul 
we've talked about uh, Artemis a bit. We've talked about Tychicus a bit. Well, here's another word about Titus. Paul uses him in Crete. He uses him seemingly in Nicopolis, and he's going to use him also to establish churches and minister in Dalmatia. Now, one of the reasons why I do sermons such as I have here tonight is because we believe that the historical grammatical approach to preaching and understanding the scriptures is what we should be using. The better we understand grammar, nouns and verbs and so on and so forth, the better we will understand the scriptures. It's that simple. You can't communicate without language. So the better you understand language, the better you can understand God's communication to us. But the same is true with history. The better we understand history, the better we understand geography, the better we will understand God's word to us. And so hence, um, taking some time and looking at some of these historical and geographical things. But another aspect to all of this is by doing something like this, it reminds us that these were real people. These were real places, real times, real events. And as we may struggle with answering questions, what happened and when did it happen and all that sort of thing, it still actually helps us to remember that these were real people. And God was working in these people People that we might know their name and that's it. But God is still working in and through his people. And so this then makes scripture more real to us. This isn't just some ancient story. This isn't some fairy tale. This is God's um, uh, description of what happened so many years ago. And obviously with the Old Testament even further ago than this. But it really happened. And since God preserved it for us. He wants us to know at least something about these men. And here's some things that we can learn. And so to return to my earlier point, God wants us to be men and women like Tychicus, like Artemis, like Titus, like Paul. Again, we're going to be different in some ways. We may not be well known at all, but he wants us to be faithful, ministering in his church, being useful for his kingdom like these men. And so here are a few words tonight about this. Next time, we'll talk about a couple more men that Paul mentions. And so let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you uh, for your word, and uh, we are thankful that you inform our knowledge of of history, of time and space here in these ways. Um, We are thankful for these men, and even though we don't hardly know Artemis or Tychicus at all. We know Titus a bit better. We thank you for how you use people, everyday people as as they were, to extend your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that you would then use us, everyday people here today, in this community, in this area, and maybe in other places, uh, as you send us to other, other locations. Help us to be faithful to be useful, to be someone that a Paul would choose to minister to your church, planning churches, uh, ministering to established churches, and so on. 
whether we are elders or deacons or, or not. Help us, Lord. Um, as Paul has been saying in this letter, to be godly in every way, in the church, in our homes, and in society, and that we might uh, be useful to you to extend your kingdom here in these things. And so, Lord, we pray all of this then for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.